Hello and welcome to Cloud9Fin, the podcast where we pick apart the inner workings of the global credit markets and tell you why you should care about the world's largest asset class, credit. We love it. Anyway, I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and today I'm on with Sasha Padbidri, one of our senior reporters. So welcome, Sasha. Hey, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So this week, we're talking about ESG, but through a very specific lens. So we're going to go over some of your recent scoops on a company called Inviva, and we're also going to examine that company's relationship with Jeff Urban's ESG activism fund, Inclusive Capital, which inspired another article that you and I published this week. So maybe to kick off, do you want to sort of explain the general thrust of that article that we published? Right. So before I answer that question, I'm just going to quickly give our listeners some context. And Viva is the world's largest producer of wood pellets. Right. Wood pellets, which are used for... These wood pellets are burned as fuel in repurposed coal-fired power plants to generate power. So people call it biomass energy. Got it. Okay. And um, inclusive? Yeah. So Inclusive Capital is kind of an ESG activist hedge fund founded by veteran investor Jeff Ubbin. And Inclusive has been a backer of Enviva since the fund spun out of, you know, Ubbin's previous firm, Value Act, in 2020. So both companies are controversial in different ways. Enviva claims wood pellets are a renewable energy source and a low carbon alternative to fossil fuels. But its critics say that power plants fueled by wood pellets emit more carbon than coal power plants. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Inclusive, as an ESG-focused fund, operated under this grandiose depiction of itself as positively leveraging capitalism and governance in pursuit of a healthy planet. Is that a direct quote? Yeah, literally. Okay, so I I get the point on Inviva, like the controversy, but can you explain why the way that Inclusive was depicting itself, as you just described, was controversial? Like, what is that phrase about positively leveraging capitalism and whatnot? What does that even mean? Right. You know, I I guess that's kind of the point. So Enviva collapsed last month and we can go into that in more detail later. But shortly afterwards, Inclusive, which I already mentioned was a big equity investor in Enviva, sent out a memo to its investors explaining that it was shutting down and returning capital. And part of the reason the fund is folding is because some of the companies that it backed, including Enviva, were not doing well or they were attracting controversy. But the other part of it is because investors simply didn't understand what inclusive strategy was in the first place. And that's what I mean about both companies being controversial in different ways. And Viva was a controversial business, while inclusive was controversial because no one could really define what its mission was. I mean, I I don't know if inclusive could even define its own mission properly. And both of these things really tie into what's been happening in ESG over the past year or so. Got it. Yeah, so these two stories Obviously, they are like actually literally related because Inclusive invested in Enviva. Um, but these two narratives kind of also intersect around ESG, right? It's sort of, um, and what's what's going on in ESG at the moment. And I know that you and I have talked about this in podcasts in the past, but it's kind of crazy to me how fast the markets have turned against ESG, at least in the US. I mean, in Europe, it feels like, ESG is really part of the system now, especially with the SFDR rules and everything. But in the US, it sometimes feels like people are really starting to 
like wholesale reject the whole premise of ESG and it's got very political lately. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I actually discussed this over a year ago. So mm -hmm. there really isn't a standardized industry definition of what ESG is. Everyone seems to have their own definition of what that entails. And that's kind of the problem. Not having that precise language really allowed Inclusive and Inviva to operate in this sort of gray zone. And I guess some would argue to leverage the buzz around ESG to their advantage mm -hmm. until, of course, it kind of blew back on them. And that kind of behavior, which ultimately feels like it's driven by a lack of transparency, clarity, and definition around ESG, that has really played a part in fueling the rise of the anti-ESG movement here. Yeah, this I know, you know, as, as you mentioned, you and I did a podcast about literally this, but we also did a podcast maybe around this time last year, I forget exactly when, with, um, with Matt Cole from Strive Asset Management. And his boss at the time was... Vivek Ramaswamy, who is running for the Republican presidential nomination now, and he's sort of campaigning on that platform, the sort of anti-woke, anti-ESG, anti-establishment kind of vibe. Right. Yeah. So uh, basically right now, it seems like interest in ESG products has just fizzled. And that's and there's a lot of uh, anti-ESG rhetoric in the political arena, especially given that the, you know, the presidential elections are taking place next year. Right. And I guess... Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people would say that, that that's that's just rhetoric, but there is actually some data to back this, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is actually backed by data. Like, um, you know, ESG ETFs have underperformed the traditional peers. And even within leverage finance, you know, many investors are skeptical of the sustainability-linked bond or loan frameworks and their margin ratchets. It's just funny because ESG was really at the height of its popularity only a few years ago. And right now, it's just like people don't care anymore, at least in the US, like what you were saying. Yeah, it's, um, I hesitate to call it a sort of stunning turnaround, but it's it, it has felt quite kind of uh, vicious at points, I guess would maybe be the, the way to put it. Um, but let's let's go back to Inviva for a second. So let's talk about the controversy there. So why do, why do environmentalists, for example, criticize this company right i'm gonna get to that detail in a minute but at a high level many people argue that burning wood pellets to produce energy is just as bad as or even worse in some ways than burning coal right yeah but at the same time on the counter argument a lot of people say that biomass power is an essential part of the transition to renewable energy and also it's it's somewhat renewable itself because it's made from wood, which comes from trees. And if you cut down trees, they grow back and whatnot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of detail to this, obviously. Um, a lot of debate around forestry and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so so what does this all mean for, for Inviva? Yeah, so because of what you just described, you know, there are subsidies available to companies like Inviva. Like there's a tax credit meant for investments in certain energy projects called 48C funding. Um, the Treasury and the IRS, in partnership with the Department of Energy, launched this program to help fund companies that can expand like clean energy manufacturing or reduce greenhouse gas emissions, for example. And, and Viva did say earlier this year that it applied for 48C funding. So its plan was to use the tax credit towards the cost of building its two new plants in Alabama and Mississippi. So if approved, the tax credits could be monetized from about 6 to 30% of the to total eligible capital investment costs of each project, which 
is estimated to be around 375 million per planet. Right. But you know, this really just attracted criticism from environmental groups, and they sent a letter to the Biden administration in September urging them to exclude woody biomass from 48C funding. Uh So we don't know the outcome yet, but this debate meaningfully impacts Enviva because it's basically collapsed at this point and is in need of cash. Right. So on that, just to recap briefly for listeners, um, we might be taking for granted that people understand what we're talking about here, but Enviva's stock, it's, it's a publicly traded company, its stock collapsed earlier this year when it suspended dividend payments. And then last month, its unsecured bonds fell into the 30s after the company said it might breach debt covenants this year and it issued a going concern warning. Right. You might even say that the company's capital structure has gone up in smoke. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, I feel like we're running out of wood and fire related headline puns on this one. You know, the other thing that's important to mention here is that the tax credits, they're just one example of how Enviva leaned really, really, really heavily on its ESG credentials to raise money from investors. And the view of it as a sustainable energy company, mm-hmm. that really boosted its stock price and helped it raise cash in the debt markets. You know, at one time, it was able to market a regular term loan as a green loan. Yeah, I I remember that deal. I actually wrote about it when it was in the very early stages and they were kind of pre-sounding it um, with, with investors. And yeah, it was a little controversial, but ultimately it, it went pretty well. Um, but I guess like one point to make about Inviva's collapse is that it's not necessarily that it was due to ESG, right? The reason that Inviva collapsed basically stems from a bad bet that its management team made where they entered into some long-term sale and repurchase agreements for pellets with another counterparty in the wood pellet industry. And they did that thinking that pellet prices would rise. And instead, pellet prices actually fell quite substantially. And now the company is tied into these long-term contracts where they're basically, yeah, like I said, tied into buying high and selling low for several years to come. So it's, it's a bit of a disaster and the company's losing a ton of money And as a result, it's got to try and renegotiate those contracts or, you know, it might basically be toast. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It was a pretty sudden collapse, but people who are paying attention could definitely see it coming. Nine fin subscribers, for example. Shameless plug for our growing distress coverage. Actually, speaking of which, if you want to get into the detail of exactly how Inviva fell apart, you should read the amazing report that our colleague Kartik put out. He's a distressed debt analyst and he really picked apart the entire situation in a super forensic way. Um, There's a link to it in the liner notes for this episode. But anyway, back to you, Sasha. Can you explain what was happening with Inclusive Capital around this period of time? Can you give a bit more detail on why that fund ultimately collapsed? Yeah, so um, besides Enviva, Inclusive was backing other companies like ExxonMobil and Nikola. And these companies were basically acting contrary to that, you know, grandiose mission that Oben had outlined when he launched the fund. So ExxonMobil, obviously a giant oil company, was one of um, Inclusive's investments because Oben held the view that traditional oil and gas companies could belong in portfolios focused on sustainability companies so long as they were working on adopting environmentally friendly policies. Right. And that's an increasingly popular view, you know, um, Oben called it ESG 2.0. But Exxon... 
was, you know, kind of not keeping up its end of that bargain. Recently, there was an investigative story by an outlet named Unearth, which, you know, reported that Exxon had been working to dismantle efforts on climate change while publicly affirming its commitment to the Paris Agreement, which is an international treaty on climate change. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bleak, that story. Exactly. And, you know, that's not ideal for an investor like Inclusive. And then there's Nikola, the electric heavy truck company, where its founder, Trevor Milton, was convicted of fraud in 2022. Yeah, these guys were rolling trucks down hills and then editing the footage to make it look like they were driving and ultimately make it look like they had better technology than they really did, which it's kind of an amazingly audacious fraud. Yeah, um, and Inclusive was also backing that company. So all of these investments were chipping away at the legitimacy of, you know, Inclusive's mission. And the Enviva downfall this year was really another card in this collapsing house. And we're not saying Inclusive collapsed because of Enviva, but the timing just made it like a perfect lens to examine the role of ESG in both of these situations. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of ESG, let's bring it back to that. These two stories are just obviously not good for the esg movement you know uh if i guess i call it the esg movement i don't know what you what you call it really but like the, the whole concept of esg these two stories are, are not convenient for that narrative so where does the movement go from here like what what should our listeners take away from this conversation in terms of what it means for esg right so um I think basically in Viva Inclusive, they have one thing in common. They leveraged the ESG branding when it benefited them to do so, whether it's to you know make profit, save cash, or draw attention to their businesses. But ultimately, you know, their actions didn't really change the world for the better. You know, Inclusive is shutting down, and meanwhile, there are published reports indicating that Enviva's plans, in addition to the constant logging of trees to make wood pellets, have actually impacted the communities that live around those areas. Right, and to that point, the the future of those plants and the people they employ and the entire of Enviva really is kind of hanging in the balance now, right? Yeah, exactly. So Enviva's consulting with its restructuring advisors on addressing its price contracts and its looming covenant breaches. The creditors have hired lawyers and advisors to prepare for, you know, a potential restructuring. So ultimately, to bring it kind of full circle, the story of Enviva and the story of Inclusive, I guess not to oversimplify it, but the takeaway is that when it comes to ESG, we all probably have to just try a lot harder, right? Like it's clearly, it's clearly not cutting it right now. Yeah. I mean, look, that's one way to put it. I, I don't know what the future holds for ESG, but right now it kind of feels like the movement is just taking blow after blow and it's hard to see how it recovers without, you know, some sort of major overhaul because public perception around it is pretty bad right now. Yeah, definitely feels that way. Well, we could probably talk about this for hours, um, but I think we'll have to wrap it up there. Sasha, always a pleasure. Thanks for talking me through this. And I hope it's not been too much of a depressing conversation. Right, not at all. Thanks for having me, Will. And that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And since this is our last podcast of the year, happy holidays. We've got some big plans for 2024, but 
First, we're going to take a break and put our feet up in front of a roaring fire of biomass wood pellets. So on that note, enjoy the break. And until next time, take care. <laughs>